Future Sense is a podcast edited from the radio show of the same name, broadcast on Bay FM in Byron Bay, Australia at bayfm.org. Hosted by Nick Jeans and well-known international futurist Steve McDonald, Future Sense provides a fresh, deep analysis of global trends and emergent technologies. How can we identify the layers of growth, personally, socially, and globally? What are the signs missed, the truths being denied? Science, history, politics, psychology, ancient civilizations, alien contact, the new psychedelic revolution, cryptocurrency, and other disruptive and distributed technologies, and much more. This is Future Sense. Yeah, and good morning to you. You're tuned to Future Sense here on BFM 99.9. Thanks to Brett for another bongo gum. Back tomorrow morning, as he said, 6 to 9 a.m. here on Bay FM. With myself, Nick Jeans, and my co-host, Steve McDonald, back after a week away last week. Good morning, Steve. How are you doing? Good morning, Nick. I'm really well, thanks. Lovely to see you. A lot of stuff on the show today. What are we going to be talking about today? A few things we're going to touch into? And... Overall, the, the mm. theme of today is the hidden drivers of complex systems. Mm. So we're going to look at a couple of different examples of comp- complex systems and then dig deep and get a feel for what's actually driving the dynamics under the surface, things that we can't necessarily see or sense. Mm. Beautiful. You're tuned to Future Sense with Nick Jeans and Steve McDonald. Engage, emerge, activate, and spiral up. Yeah, you're tuned to Future Sense here on BFM. And uh, today is uh, the new moon. We might come back to a little bit about the new moon today and also the beginning today and tomorrow of the year of the pig in Chinese astrology. Also an interesting shift there. And before we uh, begin today, also I just mentioned that uh, you can text in with comments or questions about what we're talking about here on 0437-4119. And also, uh, we are podcasts now, and you can listen to Future Sense wherever you get your podcasts, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and Overcast, and there are many others too, especially if you happen to be on an Android or Google, and I think there are different ones, so you can tune in there. And we have a website too, which is uh, Future... Future. I can't speak today, Steve, could you... That would be futuresense.it. Thank you very, thank you very much. Now, we're going to start today with... Uh, we've got a lot to, to seek to cover. We, we often don't get through everything we, we try to cover, but we're going to do our best. But we're going to start with, the, in a sense, the foundation, a bit more about the foundation of this show generally, which is to do with uh, the work of Claire W. Graves. And uh, perhaps I'll let you expand and move into what we're going to sort of, the part of that work that we're going to look at today. Yeah, so what we're going to look at is a a process of deep analysis, which is really what this show is all about. It's looking at uh, global dynamics and local dynamics and their connections and a a deep analysis of the drivers and, uh, of course, making sense of it all, Mm. which in turn can help us make sense of what's coming in the future. Yeah. So uh, I, want, I want to talk about something called the Six Deep Strata concept, which has come out of um, the work of Spiral Dynamics author Don Beck and a colleague of uh, his and mine called Christopher Cook, uh, who's uh, a wonderful expert on, on this topic. Mm. Uh, Christopher's based in the UK at the moment. And um, Christopher came up together with Don Beck with something called the five deep strata concept which looks at looks at layers of drivers and, yeah. and also um, evidence of particular behaviors and dynamics within particularly within human consciousness as a complex system and human values yeah. uh, and then I uh, extended that to a sixth uh, level and called it the six deep strata concept yeah. so it's um, in a way it's kind of like looking at an iceberg where when you see an iceberg you see 
what sits above the surface and that's clearly visible and describable but then most of the iceberg is actually underneath the surface yeah and that's stuff that you don't see and in the same way when we encounter human values we um, come across people's behavior and uh, we can watch their actions we can listen to what they say and get direct clues about their values from those things but most of the driving dynamics sit underneath the surface mm, and aren't yes. easily detected and those things that sit underneath the surface uh, at a shallow level are things that people are conscious of so the people who are doing the behaving and the speaking they're conscious of things like their own thoughts and feelings and mindsets mm and uh, belief systems and the like those sorts of things yeah yeah. and so in the in the six deep strata concept the first layer is these surface level behaviors and actions and these are influenced by underneath the surface now uh, systems structures and artifacts and this applies not just to human values but to all complex systems Mm. this particular layering i'm describing now and those systems and structures and artifacts are designed by mindsets at a a level below and the so mind- when you say mindsets here, is yeah. that is that uh, to do with belief systems, for yes. example? And, yes. And, uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So uh, mindsets are what people would be able to describe for you. Okay. Right. Um, okay. Whereas the the deeper layers that we're going to get to in a minute, if you ask somebody about them, they would talk about their mindset rather yeah. than those rather deeper than layers because there. they're not aware of those. Yes. So the mindsets uh, are at the third level here, and they're derived from in the subconscious zone now, uh, deep values, what what are described as subconscious intelligences, Mm. which are adaptive intelligences, and these equate to the layers that we talk about in Claire Graves' work, uh, which show up in distinct sets. And then those subconscious intelligences are adapting to something deeper, which are our internal and external life conditions. So our internal life conditions are everything that we source internally, like our psychology, you know, our, yeah. our history and how that impacts our yeah. behavior and those sorts of things. And then our external life conditions can be uh, physical things and our encounters with our people. And basically together, internal and external life conditions describes everything that we sense and are yes. influenced by, so it's quite all-encompassing. And then the sixth layer here is uh, what I've called the evolutionary impulse. So that is wherever all this stuff comes from. Um, If you're a Taoist, then you might call it the Tao, the way. (laughs) It's the way things are. Uh, And if you're uh, a a conventional religious person, you might call it God. Uh, But whatever it is, there's something there which gives us a direction and creates our life conditions, mm. both internally and externally. I never actually thought about the notion of uh, some, for example, as you said, conventional uh, religions being a, a an evolutionary impulse, uh, an idea deep in the consciousness that actually drives the purpose of life in well, a sense. Yeah, well, the, the religions themselves aren't. Mm, right. right. But it's the religions to... talk about this uh, omnipresent source. Yeah. Uh, which some of them call God, some of them call other things. Mm. Yeah, so it's not the actual religions, but it's what they're pointing to. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So um, you know, at that deepest level, uh, I guess there is the potential for us to uh, tune in, in some ways, to that. Although we we can't necessarily uh, experience it directly, at least not all the time. Uh, we can certainly pick up cues in the our conscious world. Which, which can be signposts pointing to what this evolutionary impulse is, uh, is bringing. Yeah. yeah? So uh, what we're going to do 
today is we're going to look at some examples and uh, we're going to use the political world at the moment as an example of how surface level behaviours and actions can sometimes suggest that a particular value set is at play. But if we dig deeper and we look at the mindsets and we go below that and we analyse by looking at the mindsets, analyse which subconscious intelligences are at play, in other words, which adaptive systems are showing up here or which layers in Claire Graves' terms, then sometimes we can detect a mismatch where mm. perhaps there's an attempt to hide someone's real values uh, or and, and obscure their uh, actual drivers you know, for, for what they're trying to do or trying to achieve. Oh, great. We're moving to politics, obviously, right now. Yeah, exactly. And then later on in the show, we'll, we'll also have a look at climate science and yeah. we'll dig down deep there and look at some of the deep drivers which are not easily apparent mm. to us. We'll also look at a little bit of the thing called surveillance capitalism, which I guess is another ex- expression of this uh, this uh, very thing. It is in the commercial world. Abs- commercial absolutely, world. yeah. And both in both politics and the commercial world, we'll be specifically zooming in on layer five in Claire Graves' work, which which is the modern scientific industrial mm. mindset. Still the dominant paradigm, but moving out. Exactly, and which mm. has peaked and is now in decline and consequently is seen by many people as, as doing damage. Uh, and it's becoming more and more apparent that it needs to shift, you know, which is one of the, the evolutionary drivers of change at the moment. Yeah. Um, now, I'm very, as you said, in some of the, the basic stuff that's going on in the world at the moment, we've seen today, for example, the release of the Banking Royal Commission report from Kevin Hain. The government has had it since Friday, but hasn't. Uh, obviously they've been scrambling on the weekend to figure out a way to respond to it. So there's that piece there. And not unrelated is a number of stories about political donations and missing money in, in political donations and the large amount of money, for example, donated by uh, the, the gaming industry, uh, the, the uh, poker machine industry in uh, Tasmania, as revealed by uh, Andrew Wilkie, the independent MB, MP down there. So those couple of points there, those three points there all sort of point to this or good examples of this on a, on a very sort of day-to-day um, political social basis. They are good examples and this stuff is showing up uh, at the moment you know, as being significant and, and creating a lot of tension for a lot of people because human values are shifting right now mm. and uh, in very general terms we're shifting from these old scientific industrial values towards uh, the, the sixth layer in, in Claire Graves' system, which is a very humanistic, network-centric, relativistic set of values, which is characterised by transparency yeah. uh, and the strong desire for transparency. And we, basically, we want to know and we want to be able to see what people's values are, what's driving their behaviour. We want people to wear their heart on their sleeve yeah. so we can see. Uh, and, of course, when we look at the scientific industrial values at layer five, they are... Uh, characterized by I often use the analogy of a poker game where you you dealt a hand a set of cards um, no one gets to see what your cards are you hold them close to your chest and it's that secrecy that um, hiding of the information which actually empowers you as a player and it actually makes the game in fact if everybody just put their cards down on the table and they would it was all transparent there would be no poker game so you couldn't play poker like that at all so uh, in order to to play poker which is very much representative of these layer five values you've got to hide your own information and then that uh, gives you the opportunity to bluff people and suggest that you might have better cards than you actually have which can increase your chances of success in the game mm. and so life work uh, your personal success is very much like that poker game 
Yeah. Uh, and we're seeing a lot of pushback now because human values are shifting. We don't like that secrecy anymore. And what's really driving that at one of these uh, deep stratas is the increasing complexity of life conditions, which is right down at the mm. fifth layer there. And uh, that's not something that people are generally conscious of or talk about, but it has the impact of making our life more challenging. And it means that we have to move to more complex value sets, which are more capable of dealing and, with that, yeah. And allow us to cope better in complex environments. It's very much a point in society, my observation at the moment, exactly what you're saying, that the complexity of uh, outer life conditions is one thing. There's not much security, not much safety, not much certainty out there, generally speaking. But internally, I think the reaction response to that is a very complex inner experience that people are now having. Uh, trying to make sense of the world for themselves internally and, and their experience on all levels and trying to uh, do that from previous um, places of intelligence and layers of consciousness is not working. So sort of attention exists there, doesn't it? Attention increases there. That's right, and it's pushing many people and, in fact, the, the entire world into this change process whereby we, we wake up one morning and we just feel like things don't work as well as they used to. Yeah. We, we don't quite know why that is at the time. We're just feeling uncomfortable and... If you really understand the change process, then you would realize that that is the first very early sign of the need to change. Yeah. Okay? Most people don't understand that, and so their first tendency is to look back to a time when things were better and then to make this regressive mm. search and bring up old values. And we're hearing that a lot at the moment, with people saying we need to get back to old values, we need to make wherever great again, this, this kind of language. Mm. Uh, and all of these are indicators of a change process. And then over time, by latching onto the old values, we actually make things worse. We go very quickly into a, a chaotic state, mm. uh, just like any complex system goes into a chaotic state when it's going through a phase shift, transformational change. And it's that chaotic state which deconstructs our old values and makes space for the reconstruction of our values into a more complex system, a more complex pattern. And of course, clearly, this is not a linear process. And this is one of the main uh, points that I think uh, is not understood enough yet by enough people. We still seem to think in a very causative way, we do this and down the track, this happens and it will continue to be that way. Uh, but this is not how it is. And I think that that's uh, an aspect of human consciousness that now is evolving in many people seeing that, oh, it's actually much more complex than that. And it's quite hard to take hold of in the beginning. It people. certainly is. And it requires a development to mm. hide and more complex ways of making sense yeah. uh, in these higher layers in Claire Graves' system for us to be able to really embrace that uh, chaotic kind of uh, nature mm. of complex mm. systems. And, and to be really honest, that doesn't come until the big shift in consciousness between layer six and layer seven. Mm. It's only really when you get into the second tier at layer seven that uh, people have the capacity to really get uh, the, the nature of chaotic systems mm. yeah so and, and at the moment you know there are a few pathfinders around who've kind of busted into that second tier of consciousness and um, authored material that's been spread widely one of them of course is uh, Edward Lorenz who was a mathematician and meteorologist 
and who is famous for coming up with what's known as the butterfly effect. Butterfly effect. And, and he butterfly was, he was wings really, here and a storm on the other side of the year. That's right. So he was really you know, one of the fathers of, of chaos, what we know as chaos theory. Yet these things, because of their complexity, are still not really adopted by the mainstream and still not really understood by most people. And he based that theory essentially on weather patterns, didn't he? Because that's that was right. the most complex system, I guess, yeah. that he could observe and find and, and make some theory from, and it makes a lot of sense there. Yeah, and he was no average climate scientist. He he was a qualified meteorologist, but he was a mathematician, which is a key thing. So he was able to do some pretty sophisticated maths yeah. to produce that butterfly pattern in his graph, which is where the name came from. Yeah. yeah. Very interesting. For all of you out there, strangers in a strange land, you're grokking future sense here on Bay FM. 9.36 here on Future Sense with Steve McDonald and myself, Nick Jeans. And we're talking about the six deep strata concept as part of Claire W. Graves' work as applied to the evolution of, uh, well, everything really, and uh, some of the indicators and uh, signposts around that. And we, you mentioned the word transparency before as we move to layer six, that one of the important things for those people in that layer of consciousness or moving towards that is, that, is transparency. And we're seeing a huge amount of uh, things being revealed on the planet, the hidden agendas, and yet, we haven't seen it all yet. And uh, clearly, the Royal Commission uh, into Banking uh, report coming out today is one of those things where some degree of transparency has been discovered, but only so much because uh, the Morrison government certainly made it uh, the parameters of that uh, commission rather narrow overall. Uh, Morrison's already talked about you know sort of not overreacting to it. All those seem to be symptoms of. Uh, this notion of let's let's keep the agenda, the true agendas hidden somewhere. Yeah, absolutely. They don't want to show their cards. And of course, Morrison was one of the the major uh, obstacles uh, towards actually getting the commission. He was very vocal um, in opposition of the, the commission, yeah. making Royal Commission going ahead. Yes. And now that it has gone ahead, he's already downplaying the uh, the outcomes mm. by saying we shouldn't overreact and we shouldn't act too quickly and all this kind of stuff even before the, the actual recommendations have yeah. come out this afternoon. It must have had a hard weekend this weekend trying to figure out how to respond to it. I imagine all the coalition uh, front bench sort of hunkered down some with a few beers or whatever and a bit of the cricket on and talking about the, how they're going to not respond to the Royal Commission. Yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure. <laughs> uh, and one of the interesting aspects of how this plays out uh, in politics is that... Um, Lobby, lobbyist organisations can make financial donations to political parties and then do deals, of course, with the politicians for the, uh, them to push certain agendas. And what you don't want as a poker player is you don't want people to see what cards you've got, right? So you don't want to say, well, you know, we've had this donation from the alcohol lobby, for example, and as a result, we're shaping our policy this way. Mm. That's the last thing that you want to reveal because that would then collapse the game. Yeah. Uh, it's just not like showing you your cards in a poker game. And so uh, what the kind of behavior that we see from politicians when they are bound by these hidden agreements is we see them pushing a particular policy, a particular line on an issue, and they seem not to budge regardless of what evidence is presented or who they talk to. And so that can make them look quite stupid. And of course, uh, it's true that we do have some politicians who aren't particularly intelligent. Uh, however, uh, when you see a politician who is repeatedly just sprouting the same line over and over again, 
regardless of what they're told or shown in terms of evidence, then mm. it's generally a good indicator that there is a hidden agenda at play. There's some hidden driver. There's been a deal done in the background and uh, there's some undue influence most likely. Yes. So I, I urge listeners to look for that um, in public life these days. Look for people who fail to adapt regardless of the evidence they're shown or what happens yeah, they keep just sprouting the same line over and over again mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. It, it also can be an example of layer four values which tend to be very rigid okay there so there are a couple of potential explanations here um, sometimes people will latch on to a truth at, at layer four values usually they will do that and then that can be very difficult to budge because there's there's like a fundamental uh, fundamentalist belief system yeah. there, and so they'll hang on to that uh, with dear or for dear life, because to let go of it means actually changing the values, which is a generally yes. a very difficult thing and something that most people don't want to do consciously. Mm. So that's one possibility. Another possibility is that people have become closed to external information. So despite the fact that you talk to them, you logic with them, you present evidence, that's not actually absorbed internally, and consequently they have this broken record of just saying the same thing over and over again. And the other possibility is, as we're suggesting, is that there is a hidden agenda. So mm. uh, from layer five values, there's been a deal done. There is a, a motivator that's offering personal success to the politician uh, that's powerful enough for them to keep just touting the same line, saying the same thing over and over again, absolutely regardless of what they're presented with in terms of uh, logical arguments or scientific evidence. Mm. We are seeing some things revealed. I mentioned already in uh, Tasmania the $400,000 poker machine industry donation to the Liberal Party during the 2017 (coughs) financial year. And and as you're talking, I'm thinking about that. And you also mentioned the example of the the alcohol industry. Um, And both of those those decisions that are made via policy from the governments that are uh, supported by those donors to one degree or another, seen or unseen, and the things we don't know, many of them, we mentioned the $56 million, but we don't know where they, that came from to the, to the major parties. Yep. But there's there's real lives that, that are happening, going on here, real lives at risk here from alcohol, which is clearly the most dangerous drug on the planet, one. And from the poker industry, uh, for example, in Tasmania, it's uh, um, Wilkie, Andrew Wilkie, the independent down there, quotes, uh, accepting poker machine industry donations is all the more immoral when you consider that so much of this money is harvested from gambling addicts. Indeed, the research shows that 40% of poker machine revenue comes from gambling addicts and that the Liberal Party are aware of that. I mean, this is um, almost criminal, really. Uh, absolutely, absolutely. And Did I say almost? Uh, I'll take the word almost out of there. <laughs> this yeah. is criminal. For listeners who haven't been following the Australian news, uh, recently it was revealed uh, a list, a list was revealed of uh, yes. sources of donations to political parties, uh, which has been published in the local media. And most of the donation money cannot be attributed. So there's $56 million worth of political donations that cannot be attributed to anybody because mm-hmm. there's a there's a lower limit uh, whereby if you donate below that limit, you don't have to reveal your donation source. And of course, there's nothing stopping organizations. Doing it 20 or 30 times. Exactly, Mm. doing multiple donations there. Um, There are also intermediate organizations which are being used. So a donor will put money into an intermediate organization which will then donate 
um, and obscuring the source, of course. And there are other ways of gathering money, like organizing events and selling tickets, for example, and those sorts of things. So $56 million is an awful lot of money. And if you add up all of the donations that have been disclosed, it doesn't add up to $56 million. It's much, much less than that. So the majority of money that's going to political parties in Australia is basically coming from hidden sources. One of the headlines in the ABC News this week was, what is the government trying to hide? Okay. And of course, the answer is it's trying to find it. It's trying to hide its cards. Yeah. It's, it's playing a poker game, and if it lays its cards down, the whole game collapses. Yeah. So that's the last thing that it wants to do, operating from these layer five values. It's so curious, in, in a way, to me anyway, that uh, you know, if uh, you know, in an ideal world, politicians from both all sides of the of the uh, of the spectrum came out and uh, actually claimed this and said, yes, we are. You know, we have this. Uh, to me, you know, they think they think. I imagine it's political suicide. I would suggest actually that level of honesty now might go down very well with a very large percentage of the world's population in the first world, anyway. And how we, because we all suffer from the same kind of uh, disease, really. <laughs> interesting, interesting, uh, interesting words. Yes. Um, yeah. So the one of the key issues. You analysing me again? Always, always, Nick. I'm I know. Sorry. I can't help. It's it. very uncomfortable at times, but other times I really like it. <laughs> Um, yeah, we, we've got to remember that people act from these deep subconscious intelligences, which Claire, Claire Graves described in his layers of consciousness, okay? Human, deep human values. So people, they are not conscious of what's driving their behavior. And uh, usually they won't change or they can't change those deep drivers just as a result of a logical argument. So in many cases, it doesn't matter what information is presented, like for example, your statement just then of, you know, it would be better if, right? <laughs> they might be more successful if, um, but people continue to operate out of their deep values and it's only a, a mm. deep transformational change process that will shift those values. Mm. And so for that to happen, there has to be considerable, considerable evolutionary tension in a person's life and they've got to go through that whole change process, which takes time. So what we're seeing here is our politicians are showing their cards whether they like it or not, if you know what to look for. Yeah, right? I, have, I have great hope for, uh, for people like Tony Abbott when he uh, perhaps loses his seat uh, in Parliament, <laughs> that perhaps this will be an evolutionary driver that he can't resist finally. Yeah, I, I don't, but I don't Tony, know about that. Tony hasn't graduated a poke yet. He's still playing marbles. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's not very nice, but true. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah. So, um, so hidden agendas, and uh, as I was saying before, the, the one of the key things to look for is a politician who won't budge on, on their opinion, and they start to seem stupid because they're just repeating the same stuff over and over again. And of course, in some cases, it, maybe it is because they they just don't have the the acumen to pick up on the arguments that are being put forward. But I would suggest, in many cases, it's because they have a hidden agenda that they don't want to reveal. Mm. Because really, you know, poker is the name of the game, and they have to keep those cards uh, yeah. close to their chest. Well, poker's the name. The winning is the name of the game. That's the personal thing. success. Personal success is what it comes down to. Mm. And this mm. is layer five is an individually oriented value system. So it's all about my success, and that is a kind of isolating individual um, theme yeah. which runs all through that that particular value system. And we're moving from there to a communal value system in layer six, and all of the tension that we're currently seeing in public discourse. Uh, you know, much of it is being driven by the fact that people's values are shifting. They're moving out of that individually oriented theme of layer five and into the communal theme of layer six, which is demanding a different world. Uh, 
yeah. and some of the things that they used to do before they they started the transition are now uh, quite offensive and they want to try and stamp them out and, mm. see, and, and this is coming out in all of these inquiries mm. the the revelations uh, that we're seeing um, and interestingly uh, very appropriate for the kind of long-term Pluto uh, astrological yeah uh, that's what they say Pluto and Capricorn exactly yeah, yeah very true yeah. and as you're speaking I'm also thinking about the the current uh, serious controversy around the Murray Darling Basin and clearly hidden agendas going on there some of which are revealed and some of which are still uh, obfuscated I, I would suggest uh, but also here in what you're saying that uh, that need of the communities down the river the various communities both uh, in small towns agricultural environmental and the like who are trying to find a way to come together yes uh, but at the same time what they're what they're governed by is by um, a, a secretive uh, process overall that has occurred that is clearly screwed over um, the river and a number of uh, those yeah. who depend on it. And once again, layer five dynamics. Yeah. So uh, for those of, of you listening who are not familiar with the river issue, uh, right up the headwaters of this river, which is um, up in southeast Queensland, I think you've mm. got uh, yeah. Cubby Station, which is a large... Uh, I think cotton growing station. Cotton, yep. Uh, which, cotton, which stores one of the most chemically uh, chemically administered intensive intensive crops yeah, in the world. Exactly, and so they're capturing capturing a large amount of water in dams there to feed their crops, and of course that water isn't flowing down the river. And this is a very very long river which flows from southeast Queensland all the way down uh, to the southern oceans. So it's the largest irrigation property in the Southern Hemisphere. Yeah, there you go. Mm. And so no doubt there is uh, a financial imperative there, which is um, pressuring politicians. Uh, and uh, that particular issue is constantly pushed aside in the discussion. Of course, people all the way down the river are trying to farm. They need water to do that. There just isn't enough water coming down the river. And, and recently there have been some major fish kills uh, where yeah. thousands of fish have been floating dead to the surface because of uh, blue-green algal bloom in the river uh, as a consequence of the lack of water flow. Yeah. I'm just reading here that the station, Cubby Station, was created by amalgamating 12 floodplain properties to give Cubby a total of 51 water licences. There you go. That's very powerful stuff there. You're resonating right now on Future Sense with Steve McDonald and Nick Jeans. Thanks for the text coming in. I just remind you, you can text in at 0437 341 119. I'll say it like that so I don't get into trouble. 0437 341 119. And yes, we are. We were going to bring up the fact that Cubby Station, which we just mentioned before at, uh, at the, the head, uh, so to speak, of the Murray-Darling uh, system, uh, has 51 water licenses and is owned, in fact, by a Chinese company. It's actually a Chinese and Japanese company. It's a mixture of, uh, of those two. Uh, and um, it's called the uh, Rui Scientific and Technological Group uh, Company Limited uh, Clothing and Textile Company, uh, Chinese and Japanese investors, and uh, that's 80%, and then uh, a, an Australian company owns 20%. They're a wool trading and agricultural property management company. Let, let's be clear that we're not making any accusations here, and we certainly don't pretend to know no. what the, the deep drivers are of this particular issue. However, understanding this six-deep strata concept and the fact that there is a layer five mindset at play in government suggests that there will be hidden agendas it's it's without a doubt really and most likely as with all complex issues it's not just one cause but it will be 
uh, an array of issues in combination which are calling the problem and uh, causing the problem and that is most likely in a, a degree of incompetence a degree of lack of communication mm. uh, but also most likely some kind of hidden agenda which is influencing the government's focus and mm. course of action I forgot to mention actually folks that uh, if you are interested in going to see King Lear next Saturday at, well, this coming Saturday, the 9th of Feb at 1pm at the Byron Theatre. Give us a call as a subscriber, double six eight zero seven triple nine, and uh, Linda and Helen are out there waiting for your call because it'll stop them talking and eating donuts and, and doing their makeup and stuff out there. They've got to get serious. I thought I could smell donuts. Oh, I know. That's not, that's not too, don't get me started on donuts. <laughs> it's a weakness of mine occasionally. Um, talking about uh, um, hidden agendas, we're going to look at a couple of other issues here re- relevant to what we've been talking about uh, regarding the six deep strata Yeah, concept. so let's, let's give another couple of examples of this layer five modern scientific industrial mindset. Yeah. It's deep driving values and how it's very much like a poker game where uh, you want to be successful, you don't want to show your cards. And so that restriction of information provides power and a likely mm. success for you. Another example that's been in the news here lately in Australia is the issue of pill testing. Yeah. And an awful lot of medical bodies here, uh, including the Royal Australian College of Physicians, uh, the Australian Medical Association, and many, many others mm. have come out publicly and said, we re- really need to investigate and trial pill testing in order to reduce harm at music festivals. Yep. Uh, and uh, as an example, the New South Wales Premier Gladys Berejiklian has repeatedly pushed back on the idea and is simply repeating over and over again uh, this request for people not to take drugs. And this is a, a classic example of, you know, one of at least two possibilities. One is that she really is so closed and of a, a rigid fundamentalist mindset that she's not open to any new information. Or it could be an indicator that she has a hidden agenda. Mm. And, of course, there are many organisations out there. We don't know the facts, so we're not uh, making any accusations, of course. But one possibility is that someone like the alcohol lobby, who stands to lose an awful lot of market share if other drugs become more socially acceptable. And the alcohol lobby, we know, in in different forms and through different organisations, is a regular donor to politics, uh, to political parties here in Australia. And it's possible that there is some financial influence like that impacting uh, her decision-making process and the decision-making process of other premiers. I think there's also strong pushback in Victoria as well. Uh, And so when we hear these repeated statements over and over again despite all of the evidence and despite really solid scientific evidence and the urging of professional organizations who really know what they're talking about um, we ought to start to think to consider those options okay well maybe this is not just apparent stupidity maybe actually there's a hidden agenda here mm. um, that's one example another great example just um, before we move on to the sure. next example just i just wanted to point people to the article that you sent me from the conversation from a few days ago yes by nicole lee uh, which is entitled History Not Harm Dictates Why Some Drugs Are Legal and Others Aren't. I think it's a very good article. It's a, a great article. There's a fantastic uh, simple graph there about the, uh, the the harm to users and harm to others of all the uh, legal and illegal drugs, or most of them. And uh, if you have a look at that, you can see quite clearly... Uh, and this is this is a piece of science, I would hope, I would think. I think I'm sure it is. It, it is. This is David Nutt's science. Oh, it's David Nutt, yes, yeah. who is the... Um, uh, 
from the um, David Knight's is a, Imperial is a, College yeah, London professor from Imperial mm. College London who is uh, mm. has been pioneering uh, psychedelic research in the UK, particularly MDMA research and psilocybin research, and he'll be in Australia uh, very soon actually on the 13th of February to launch the new non-profit Mind Medicine Australia. And Nikolai will be there. Will be down there. Uh, this is an interesting article. We won't go into depth with it, but just to point you to it because it it talks about, as it says, as the title says, that history not harm dictates why some drugs are legal and others aren't. In fact, you may know that uh, sometimes around the world, coffee has been illegal and cocaine has been widely available, for example. So it's not really anything to do with the amount of harm. It's to do with, well, politics. what we're saying, with politics, politics and yeah. the, the power of money, and clearly the top, uh, the, some of the top drugs of the alcohols at the top and tobacco, uh, not far down there, and uh, some of the other obvious harmful drugs in the top of this graph, heroin, crack cocaine, methamphetamine, cocaine, tobacco. Uh, and it isn't until halfway down that cannabis arrives and way down the bottom, MDMA, uh, with very little uh, harm to others and not, not that much harm to uh, to users overall. And these statistics from David Nutt's research mm. come from a study he originally did in the UK and then he mm -hmm. did expand it to uh, Europe as well. Here in Australia, the graph would probably look slightly different. For example, I saw some research that came out recently saying that tobacco was overall the biggest killer here in Australia. Mm. Right, there you go. Now, we've talked about other examples, so I just had that in there, but I thought it was yeah, useful no, that, that, for our listeners. That's a great addition. I was just yeah. going to talk briefly about um, US military interventions, and uh, oh. I, I'm recalling a classic statement by uh, President Obama when he was in power, uh, where he came on TV and spoke about the wars in the Middle East and just said, these are really complex situations, we just don't know how to solve them. And I think this is a great example of a hidden agenda, uh, which is unspoken. And uh, just like the poker game, they're holding their cards close to their chest here, uh, because we do know that the defense industry makes an awful lot of money out of wars. And over recent years, it's become pretty apparent that perpetual war has become a business model for mm. the US. And so they always want to have uh, one or two reasonable size wars going on wars going on in, in order to feed that yeah. beast well <laughs> it, it goes it. back even to 1960 when uh, outgoing president eisenhower actually pointed to the military industrial complex as a dangerous uh, that's right yeah, yeah conjunction he, of forces and yeah, he was he, right he, he foresaw that and, and warned against it very clearly yeah uh, and of course, that's not the kind of thing that you can just come out and say that, well, you know, we're making a lot of money out of these wars and so we want to continue uh, because that would collapse the game, just like laying your cards mm. down in a poker game. And so you've got to, you've got to bluff, basically. Mm. Well, you see now, we see the situation in Venezuela, for example, where uh, the US is actually, Donald Trump has just in the last couple of days not ruled out the possibility of military in intervention down there, God forbid. Yeah. That's right. And of course, Venezuela, uh, I was reading recently, has the world's largest uh, amount of oil. unexplored oil reserves, yeah. which is Just no coincidence purely, purely, here. No, purely accidental. Yeah. Purely. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, um, the Americans love people who get involved in their politics at home, don't they? <laughs> so that's <laughs> a bit of a double standard yeah. there, apparently. Yeah, no, there's a lot. There's a lot going on. The other issue, of course, uh, to me, is um, the current issue around uh, the uh, nuclear disarmament treaty. I can't remember the name of it now between the U.S. and Russia. 
which uh, Trump has just withdrawn from, and now Russia has replied and said we'll also withdraw from it, which apparently, according to some uh, reports, is allowing for the expansion of new technologies, more militarization, and the possibility that Russia could uh, lob some missiles back down in Cuba, for example. This was actually on Radio National this morning. I thought, oh my God, seriously, we, we, we're going that way again? Yeah. So how do, we, how do we look at that from this perspective? This is an example of these uh, regressive values that crop up during times of change. And so mm-hmm. the, the whole you know, dominant global paradigm is failing at the moment because complexity has reached a point where these old systems that were designed pre-internet simply don't work for us anymore. Mm. I'm talking about our large-scale social systems like our political systems, our economic system, etc. And one of the key reasons that the complexity has increased has been because of the technology which was produced during the scientific industrial era, which gives us access to far more information. And I'm talking specifically about the internet and our devices, which allow us to access wherever we are almost uh, yes. to, to all of that information and so um, it's kind of like uh, putting up a whole bunch of mirrors around the walls in a poker game and all of a sudden you can see everybody's cards <laughs> and this is what the internet has created for us mm. it's created visibility of all of these things that were once held uh, very very close to people's chests but all of a sudden we can see them all and we can see them because people inside all of these different organizations which are managing these issues are their values are shifting and so they're starting to reject these ways of doing things they're mm. starting to speak out we have whistleblowers we have organizations like wiki uh, like uh, um, uh, you're pointing at me yes, I, don't I, I don't know what you're trying to say <laughs> Assange, <I'm> sorry <laughs> didn't pop in it. Assange's uh, oh, Assange. organization WikiLeaks, thank you. Mm. Um, I thought you said that. WikiLeaks. No, I, I was about to, but I was yeah. going to say Wikipedia instead of WikiLeaks. Okay. I meant WikiLeaks. Yeah, yeah. And and so yeah, the, these organisations are all examples of shifting values, all examples of this desire to want to reveal the the hidden information mm. and you know play on a level playing field where everybody can see everything basically. On the other hand, when you use the analogy there of, the, of uh, a room full of mil- mirrors around uh, a, a, a poker, poker game, game yeah. I thought, well, of course, that's that's right. But then those mirrors are going to reflect the negative, the opposite of, and there's a distortion there. And Because I wanted to ask you where, where fake news fits into this. Yeah, that's because, a really good observation, yeah. Nick, yeah. really good. Because the distortion is uh, the rejection factor that comes in the first tier of values, the first six layers of values in Claire Graves' model. Every time we move to a new set of values, we inherently reject Mm. and see as very negative those values that are reflected back to us from the previous layer. Mm. So so that's a a very apt observation. Thank you. Mm. You're tuned to Future Sense with Nick Jeans and Steve McDonald. Engage, emerge, activate and spiral up. 10, 12 here on Future Sense with uh, Nick Jeans and Steve McDonald. And just quickly before we move on, uh, just run this um, uh, double pass giveaway for a little bit longer, a few more minutes. Give him a call, Linda and Helen out there if you are a subscriber. It's a double pass to King Lear, and that's the National Theatre of uh, the UK or Britain. Fantastic theatre with Ian McClellan in that role at 1pm on Saturday the 9th. So uh, give, them, give them a call right now and get in that draw. There's only a few people in it right now, so you've got a good chance of winning if it interests you. Yeah, Steve, we're going to move towards what? We're going to segue gently and uh, we are slide gonna through. We are going to segue, and uh, here it is. So mm. all of the stuff we've been talking about so far is an example of a reduction of confidence in government 
that's actually a worldwide phenomenon and it's part of this value shift beyond the modern scientific industrial mindset. And the economic forecaster, Martin Armstrong, he uh, has developed a very complex set of computer algorithms which combine numerous cycles and as these cycles are laid on top of each other you get an overlapping somewhat chaotic pattern mm. uh, which doesn't look like any any particular cycle on its own of course because of the um, the compounding of the different cyclic influences yeah and he marked a turning point in late 2015 uh, which was a downturn in confidence in government which is going to last for quite a while and he described the theme as a rebellion against the corruption of government which mm. speaks very much to what we've been talking about this yes. morning and as he said also pluto and capricorn if you are an astrologer out there you know that uh, that uh, describes the same sort of process over this period of time that we're in now that's right mm. so this is a 309.6 year cycle what he calls the economic confidence model uh, and uh, interestingly his prediction cycles he noticed after some time are actually in sync with solar cycles and climate change patterns. This is very unusual. You wouldn't expect this, of course. But when you think about it, it's it makes sense that during periods of cold weather, for example, economic activity slows down. It shrinks, right? yeah. yeah. And yeah. and just the very recent severe polar vortex-influenced cold weather that we've seen in North America obviously stopped people from going shopping for a few days. Uh, and it will have a longer-term impact on things like uh, crop production yes. um, you know all sorts of other industrial output because people are staying home and not being able to work in the extreme weather mm. uh, and those you know those uh, impacts will accumulate over time and reveal themselves no doubt so it kind of makes sense when you think about it that weather patterns do impact economic well, you've got the situation in Townsville right now, of course, which is doing the same thing in a, from a different, uh, a different perspective with an immense amount of rain, one metre of rain in seven days in That's right. Townsville. Yeah, my old stomping ground. I lived in Townsville yeah, yeah, exactly. for 10 years yeah, yeah. yeah, when I was in the army. And uh, it was a very dry, dusty old place when I initially got up there, but they built a pipeline, a water pipeline, from the, the Burdekin Dam across to Townsville, and then uh, all of a sudden they had access to water again. Now they've got a little bit too much access to water. A little bit water. too much. Some people have suggested running a pipeline down because it's, it's up. So it just should run down by gravity, shouldn't it, into the Murray-Darling Basin? <laughs> I'm sure they can figure sure something out. Something simple yeah. in all this complexity, please. Absolutely. Yeah, it's <laughs> ironic, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, in fact, I think Pauline Hanson uh, was recently suggesting a pipeline from the. I think uh, she's yeah, that's right from the Kimberley across, mm. which is that's a pretty long pipeline. That's a long pipeline. But I guess you know if we can run pipelines across the ocean and put uh, internet cables through them, then we ought to be able to do that as if well. If we can run pipelines across the country to, to transport oil, we should be able to do that with water also. But these are different topics. That's right. Yeah. So um, as I was saying, Martin's uh, Martin Armstrong's economic prediction cycles are in sync with solar cycles and climate change patterns. Uh, so that that's our segue into. Yes. Uh, talking about climate science. And since our last show together, uh, I have sat down and watched a presentation by Professor Valentina Sarkova. Mm -hmm. She gave uh, a presentation on her climate and the solar magnetic field hypothesis at the Global Warming Policy Foundation in the UK in October last year. And in it, she revealed some of the findings from her research into solar dynamics. So she's been making an extensive study of the sun and its behavior. And she's come up with some really complex uh, aspects of the sun's behavior, which are wonderful. Because when we're talking about complex systems, in order to understand their dynamics, you really have to dig deep 
you know, it's if, if anybody gives you a very simple explanation of a complex system's behaviour, it's probably wrong unless they've dug way, way deep through layers and layers and layers of different dynamics to the very simple drivers, at, you know, towards the base mm-hmm. of, of the stack. So one of the interesting things that she found was as our solar system travels through our galaxy, of course, we've got the planets orbiting around the sun. And contrary to what we were, you know, most of our generations anyway were, were taught at school that, you know, it's all kind of a static thing and the sun stands still and the planets circle around. Yeah, it's amazing that that itself, that's also just an, ex- an example of what thought was about these issues 30, 40, 50 years ago. Was that's right. That, uh, yeah. that simplistic comparative to where it is now. Yeah, so mm. so what we're seeing here is a wonderful example of the progression from... Mm. Uh, scientific industrial values. So if you, you would go back in history, um, sort of uh, a few hundred years, you know, there was Galileo. a time. Yeah, there, exactly, Galileo. So there was a time when uh, the church said, mm. you know, because the church was kind of the dominant institution globally. Uh, the earth is the center of the universe, basically. Exactly, yeah. and everything rotates around us. Yeah. And then, of course, people like Galileo came out and said, well, I've been looking at it through, through my telescope, <laughs> and uh, it kind of looks like... Uh, we're, we're living around the sun. We're living around the sun. And, of course, uh, you know, some people were, were killed for that. Some people were killed for that. Um, and But that's an example of a value shift, and that particular yes. value shift was from the authoritarian, absolutistic layer four values, which are characteristic of structured religions, mm. to the modern scientific industrial yeah. values, which gave us a, a more multiplistic perspective. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And what we're seeing now is another shift again from the modern scientific to relativistic values at layer six. And so you would expect with this value shift, we're also going to shift our idea about larger scale systems like our solar system. And that's exactly what's happening. Mm-hmm. And it's happening through the work of people like Professor Valentina mm-hmm. Zarkova. So she has observed the sun's dynamics very, very carefully. And what she's found is that as the sun is flying through our galaxy on its own orbit of galactic center, mm-hmm. Uh, and the planets are following, and, mm-hmm. and some of you may have seen the wonderful I video uh, on YouTube. I was going to mention that. Which, with the, the sun flying along, it actually shows the sun moving in a straight line, which is not exactly correct, but it, it shows the planets spiraling, spiraling around. Absolutely beautiful. I'm sure most of you have seen that out there. It's fantastic. Space, which is yeah. quite extraordinary. Absolutely. And so now what she's found is that the sun itself gets pulled around as the planets are orbiting the sun, the center of gravity of, of the solar system shifts, right? Because hmm. sometimes the planets are all on... Of course, it would, yeah, one side or one the other. One side or the yep, other side, yep. right? So it actually impacts hmm. the flight path of the sun. Hmm. And so the sun oscillates. It doesn't travel in a straight line. It has its own little spiral that it follows, okay? And she's mapped this... Uh, this this is classic uh, layer six science actually because she's mapped it as a flat uh, diagram. Okay, she's not shown a dynamic of the sun spiraling. She's shown a flat diagram with a left to right up and down oscillation. And but that, nevertheless, it's much more accurate. But nevertheless, it's it's more advanced than yes. the layer five science. Yes. Okay, and she has a ninety three percent accuracy in her findings. It's, it's extraordinary. Yeah. It's quite extraordinary. So so um, right there she has revealed that at certain times because of its own oscillation the sun is closer to or further away from the earth and this but this is a pattern that is separate from our own orbital pattern mm. yeah 
fascinating. It's fascinating. So yeah. so straight away she's added an extra dynamic to be considered that hasn't been considered before. And and of course she's an astrophysicist. She's not a climate scientist. And this is not the kind of thing that climate scientists study. So as we've spoken about previously on the show, the modern scientific industrial era caused us to specialise our knowledge in very narrow silos where we went quite deep and, and discovered incredibly deep knowledge yeah, about very it's narrow had, fields. It's had solved a lot of problems. It's had a, a fantastic results from doing that, but of the time, the time for, is for a, uh, a much more expansive view of science. That's right. It's mm. time to connect the dots again and start to mm. connect mm. this deep information across different disciplines, yes. and that's what we're doing on this show. Yeah, so she's talking in this about uh, the magnetic fields of the sun going out of phase and can you explain a bit about that in the grand solar minimum that's what i know what that's what you're getting to yeah um because that's a that's something i didn't really understand before i still don't really understand it but uh, the magnet there's four magnetic fields of the sun yeah yeah so um and again this this is uh not something that i'm an expert on so uh, if anybody is mm. really interested we'll post a link uh through our future sense twitter feed today uh, yeah. to a presentation, the one that I watched, uh, where Valentina Sarkova is presenting a science. It is a complex uh, lecture. She's, she's a scientist lecturing to scientists. And so um, yeah, I'd urge you just to perhaps skip through and look at some of the uh, PowerPoint slides that she has there, which, which summarise the information in sort of simple terms yes. rather than the complex science. Um, but so her research has disclosed this oscillation in the sun's path through space yep. and also dynamics within the sun itself so uh, polarized uh, circulation patterns in the northern and southern hemisphere of the sun and there are surface level patterns and deeper patterns which take place beneath the surface of the sun so you've got a surface level pattern uh, on the northern hemisphere and a surface level pattern on the southern hemisphere there's there's two dynamics there uh, which are polarized and then you've got deeper uh, subsurface dynamics in the northern hemisphere and the southern hemisphere so there's four different cycles well, it's a strata system there you go it, it is okay. yeah it, it's complex mm. uh, and, and those uh, change the behavior of the sun mm. right and impact things like the amount of radiance that, that is projected towards Earth and also the strength of the solar wind. And the solar wind blows over the Earth and normally protects us from cosmic radiation by reducing the amount of cosmic ray impact yes. on, on the planet. That's and, changing. Yes, and mm. so uh, during periods of solar maximum, that protection is quite strong. And during periods of solar minimum, uh, their protection falls away and we're subject to higher incidents of cosmic ray impact. And that according to the research of that Danish chap that we discussed on the show previously, has an effect on the amount of cloud cover on the planet. So the more cosmic ray impact there is, the more cloud cover there is, which of course is another cooling mechanism on the planet. So we're talking about um, multi-layered uh, influences here, yeah. which is typical of a complex system. Mm -hmm. you know, it, yeah. And when people come out and say, well, this is one thing that's changing our climate and this is what it is and it's going on a linear trend, then they deny the complexity uh, that is found within systems like our, yes. our climate system. And it's worth reminding people about chaos theory at this point and I mentioned uh, Edward Lorenz earlier. Lorenz, yes. So most people would have heard of chaos theory, and particularly the butterfly effect, mm. which is you know it comes from this idea that a butterfly flaps its wings in South America and it causes a, you know a climate event somewhere else. Yeah. But the that actually came from uh, a a pattern 
uh, of data that uh, Lorenz plotted and it showed up looking like a set of butterflies wings um, with two big stranger tractor basins which are part of complex uh, yeah. complex um, chaos, chaos, chaos theory, theory. Yeah. so, so, so yeah, anyway what I was going to say was that um, it's really important to remember that chaos theory came out of climate science right and Lorenz was no average climate scientist he was a mathematician as well as a meteorologist okay mm. uh, and so that's why he and, and I would suggest that he also had developed to quite a complex level in, in his own personal development in terms of his values and his perspective on the world and that's really important just that you're saying there because it is the the, the level and this is not a judgment of anybody of course but the, the the level of the layer that people are actually doing no matter how brilliant they are no matter how well they're educated yes. or who they're connected to or who they're researching with if their layer their level of consciousness is, is uh, at X, but what is required is for it to be X plus. Yes, uh, they're going to be stultified in their uh, appreciation and their understanding of the data that they've got in front of them, and what yeah. they're going to look at and what they're going to discard. That's exactly right. Mm. And their level or layer, according to Claire Graves' system, mm. is a direct result of their life conditions yeah. right? and, their, and their adaptation to those life conditions. Mm. So it, it, go, it goes beyond the personal. It's not a personal no, thing. That's you know, right. It's not a personal commentary. So what? Have the, so Professor Zarkova, with these models that, as I said earlier, have run a 93% accuracy, they suggest, uh, with all the information you've just articulated there, Steve, a, a super grand solar minimum is on the cards beginning in 2020, which is a, 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 a date next year, yeah. very soon that we've focused on quite a bit, and running for 350 to 400 years. Yes. Uh, uh, the full cycle, this is not the, the minimum itself, but the full cycle of this running this long. And the last time that this happened, there was a, a small ice age, and only two of the magnetic fields that Steve articulated off the sun at that time went out of phase. But this time, she suggests, all four magnetic fields are going to be out of phase. Yeah, so um, what's known as the Maunda Minimum, which was a mini mm. ice age uh, back a couple of hundred years ago, um, was a result of two of these, uh, as you said, two of these cycles getting out of phase. And this time we're getting four cycles out of phase. So we, we ought to uh, expect a greater impact. Um, this time around, and the uh, the grand solar minimum is a well established uh, milestone yes. in, in solar activity. It's yeah. not just a you know one of her findings, no. uh, but she describes that uh, the impact of that grand solar minimum will begin in 2020, which is very close, yep. uh, and it will last uh, at least to 2055. So we're looking at what 35 years there mm. of uh, climate patterns, which are heavily influenced by the grand solar minimum, which I was, as I was explaining before, um, one of the um, outcomes of that is uh, higher cosmic radiation impact on the planet, which has a, a connection to uh, cloud cover. And um, she, I'm looking at one of her slides from a presentation now. She's saying this is a unique event in solar terrestrial connection uh, and um, it has a big impact on the terrestrial temperature and also, of course, a reduction of uh, magnetic fields surrounding the Earth. Mm. And she said that one of the impacts that we can expect is... Um, a possible food shortage. Yeah, shortage she, of vegetation between 2028 and 2032 in particular, very specific there. Yeah, that's right. Mm. And she said there's an urgent need for intergovernmental efforts mm. uh, to make plans for that, to avoid disasters, uh, food shortages, obviously. And it's interesting also that Martin Armstrong's economic cycles, his computer program has predicted high food prices beginning in 2024, uh, which he links to the climate cycles, which are synchronised mm. with his economic cycles. 
um, as a result of cold weather and, and looking at what's just happened recently in the US, this polar vortex mm. uh, impacting down in, over the United States, you can see quite easily how crops you know, will be damaged and destroyed by mm. the extreme cold weather, which has been in some cases colder than, uh, than Antarctica. Yeah. I know. Also, uh, I said to you earlier off air, Steve, a uh, thing I read this morning too, is that the the change? I'm not sure if it's happened yet, but for the change from this polar vortex, this extreme cold <clears throat> in the northern hemisphere, uh, into very warm, relatively speaking, very warm spring uh, temperatures, is extraordinary in itself. The, the shift, the change yeah, from it's, the it's freezing a, cold to a sudden uh, flip. A sudden and, flip. Uh, yeah. I, I looked at the weather forecast just uh, before the show, yeah. and they're saying that that warm patch is only going to last. A couple of days, and they're going back to cold weather again mm. very quickly. But this is the nature of chaotic systems, of complex adaptive systems. When they go through change, uh, the structure of behaviour has to fall apart, so it goes chaotic, and so you get spikes in both heat and cold. Yeah. Uh, as as the normal pattern falls apart, the same thing happens to us when we go through transformational change from one value set to the next. And then as we transit through that transition period, we come to a new stability which plays out in, in different patterns or different values in, in the human case. Yeah, very good. For all of you out there, strangers in a strange land, you're grokking future sense here on Bay FM. Remastered version, of course, of that uh, fantastic song by the police, Walking on the Moon. It is a new moon today at 15 degrees Aquarius, emphasising the need to consider others as well as tending to our own needs. And just so you know, for those who are interested in astrology, uh, Uranus enters the final degree of Aries on February the 6th. This is quite a strong thing, and uh, Mars conjoins it soon. We, so there's a lot of warlike and unusual things going on out there, both globally and personally motivated to reinvent ourselves at the moment. I think that's a good phrase at the moment, to reinvent, but we will see. Uh, just um, We have a winner for the double pass to King Lear on February the 9th at the theatre downstairs here at 1 o'clock, and the winner is Alice and Mark Smith. Thank you for that. Our subscriber number 1216. Thanks to all of our subscribers here on um, Bay FM. Keeps us afloat. Keeps us afloat really good. We have another text in here. Thank you very much. And uh, says, this sounds terrifying, guys, that we could have a mini ice age twice as cold as the last one by next year? Question mark, question mark. We didn't quite say that, but... Uh, no, we didn't. So oh, it's um, no, we didn't say that at all. I'm going to turn once, uh, what we're saying was that we're moving into a period where the grand solar minimum is going to be particularly influential, and that will slowly ramp up over time. So, um, you know, you could argue. I mean, it's always very difficult uh, for scientists or anybody to put a specific time period on these sorts of things because. Mm you know what level of influence do you judge as the place where you know it becomes significant so mm. you could argue for yeah. example that the polar vortex shifting uh, to influence north america as we've seen in the last week or two yeah. is a very early sign of this grand solar minimum pattern but um professor zarkova has has picked 2020 as a time when it will become particularly significant yeah. and then the influence will gradually increase uh, and I would suggest we'll probably peak at times of solar minimum. So during that period from 2020 through 2055, we've got a solar minimum coming uh, at around 2032, I think it is, yes. roughly. There'll be another one roughly about 11 years after that, and another yes. one roughly about 11 years after that. And they, they do vary in terms of their time scale slightly from cycle to cycle, so it's difficult to predict or, or, or to say exactly you know what the intervals are mm. because they can change. 
Um, so, uh, you know, you don't need to kind of rush out and uh, buy a fur coat just now. Uh, however, uh, especially what, if you're living in Adelaide or Melbourne at the moment, yeah. What, what is terrifying for me is that the predominant discussion globally right now is about global warming, and so many people have adopted that as a kind of fundamentalist outlook that simply can't be budged because they've, they've latched onto it from a, probably from a, a layer four values perspective. Uh, you know, during this time of regressing to, regressing to layer four values during the, the transition globally. Uh, and so if we spend the next five years preparing for global warming and then suddenly get tripped up by global cooling, that's a big worry. Yeah. Uh, what we really need to do is we need to pay attention to the most complex scientific explanations that we can find about climate patterns right now and then start to act and prepare for what is most likely coming down the track. Well, of course, we're not doing much anyway, generally speaking, about global warming or climate change generally on the planet. Uh, it's a very slow uh, um, propensity for politicians and leaders to move towards that direction, even so. And, and that could be a good thing at this point. It mm. could be a, a really good thing that there's been no you know, considerable action on uh, global warming because some of the things that have been suggested, and in fact there's a study, I think it, it, it's, if I remember correctly, I think it's at Stanford University in, mm. in the US, which is about to start, which is to do with, uh, with uh, geoengineering of, uh, of climate. Oh, yes. And they're going to try and you know, create a cooler climate in a particular patch of the USA. Be, I, you know, I wonder if they're still thinking about starting that study after the recent winter weather they've had over there. I wanted to, um, can I interrupt for a second, I wanted to, something I said to you off air, we use the term complex adaptive systems and I think everybody would understand a complex system these days, it's a complex world. When we're talking about complex adaptive systems, to me the word adaptive is also often the one that sort of is a low volume there. People don't quite understand what that means. Yeah. Can you just give a bit of an explanation about what that looks like in terms of in terms of weather, climate, for example, or any other sure. situation? Sure. Um, it's a really good question. Let's talk about human consciousness to start with. Mm. So what it means is that, first and foremost, there's an inherent intelligence in the system, okay? And secondly, that the system is connected to and open to influence from its environment. Mm. And this is something that we often miss when we study anything, and and really that's part of the scientific industrial yes. outlook. Isolating, compartmentalizing approach, reductionism um, is we forget that whatever we're studying is actually not something that stands alone. It, it's connected. You know, even if you stick it inside a, a glass bubble in a lab, there's still it's still being observed. By Someone's the, observing it, and, and it also you know it's still subject to the light and mm. uh, and those sorts of things yeah. that comes that goes in. So, yes. Um, so a complex adaptive system is a system that is open to input and influence from its environment and has the capacity to sense and act in relation to that incoming data. Okay? And so uh, an adaptive system will shift its own dynamics in order to compensate for whatever's happening around it. Mm. And, um, and you see this everywhere in nature. You, know, yeah. you, you um, put something too close to, uh, you know, put a plant too close to a, 
uh, ACDC song. Something, yeah, an ACDC song. <laughs> or, or even even that, yeah. I mean, yeah, there are that. scientific studies Absolutely. and stuff, stuff like there that. But, but, you know, you put a plant that's used to growing in the shade, in the sunshine, and it's going to change. You know, mm. it's, it's not going to continue doing the same thing mm. it's always done because it's it's going to try as best it can to adapt, and it may not be able to adapt. Sometimes, yes. you know, there's a there's a certain limit on the capacity of things to adapt in terms of time and, and mm. change that they can make. Mm-hmm. So so that's basically what a complex adaptive system is. It's a, it's a system that's complex, which means that it has many different parts, and those parts are both connected and interactive. And the interactive part is is the ad- adaptivity. You know, there, there's information passed between the different parts of the system, and there's an inherent intelligence in the system which it allows it to make changes to its own dynamics. Yeah. And so this is when you transfer that complex adaptive system dynamic to for example, the climate, it raises some very interesting questions uh, and it challenges the scientific industrial worldview Mm. because you've shown me a climate scientist that thinks that the earth, uh, which is the system that has this climate around it, is an intelligent adaptive system. You know, no one that I know of, uh, at least in the mainstream, is doing any science which... Um, caters for the possibility that our climate is part of an intelligent system. Mm. And not just an intelligent system within itself, but part of a larger system of um, the solar system and the sun we've been talking about yeah. and uh, the galaxy itself and the universe. And this is a big takes, but I, I mean, for me, that shows the, the kind of growth in the way we, we are evolving towards uh, our place within a bigger system. Yes. And that's how it always is, from the small tribal systems to da-da. now we're global, we feel global, we understand global, the information is transferred like this everywhere, yeah. lots of issues with that. And now we're looking at a at a sort of our home within a bigger uh, system. Perhaps. That's right, and and the deeper philosophical issues that come yeah. with that about you know what is consciousness, where does it come from, what is conscious, you know, Indeed. are we humans the only things that are conscious in the universe? Yeah. Uh, and it sort of points towards the the idea of panpsychism, you know, which is just you know, that basically everything has a level of consciousness. Mm. Uh, and of course, it's part of this convergence that we're seeing over the very long term between science and spirituality which eventually on, on the other side of the big leap in consciousness will come together where we'll actually mm-hmm. find ways of uh, cross-referencing and, and converging and joining these mm-hmm. spiritual issues with scientific issues and see how it all fits together. And you may, of course, disagree with this, folks, and we're happy if you do disagree with us, and you can text us in. Although we don't have much time for today's show, um, 0437341119. You're resonating right now on Future Sense with Steve McDonald. And Nick Jeans. Last uh, 15 minutes or so of Future Sense for this morning, 10.46 here on Bay FM 999. And we're talking about uh, Professor Valentina Sarkova's work and a little bit more about that because she's retrofitted uh, her theories way back and uh, found some pretty strong correlations with uh, what she's proposing now. Yeah, uh, it, it, just to be really particular about the terminology, it's okay. a hy- hypothesis, hypothesis uh, that she you. has. So um, <laughs> it's... Uh, a theory is something that has been verified through uh, repeated studies. So if you come up with a hypothesis that's quite valid, then it, someone Thank else you. should be able to go away and do the same study and come up with the same results. Very good. And then, uh, you know, once it's been verified so many times, then it's accepted as a, as a theory. Yeah. But a hypothesis is something new. Thank you. Uh, and so uh, some of the things that uh, Valentina Zarkova has done is she has retrofitted her theory 
uh, sorry, her hypothesis. <laughs> I'm just done it myself. Uh, she's retrofitted her hypothesis to historical uh, climate data, and she's looked at uh, climate patterns for uh, three thousand to ten thousand years prior to now, and she's found that this grand minima dynamic that she has come up with in her hypothesis accurately predicts in retrospect the patterns over that period and she's also looked at the uh, earth's temperature recovery after the last mini ice age during the morning minimum and uh, she's plotted that on a graph and there's a slide in her presentation and again we'll put we'll tweet the uh, link to this uh, presentation and i'll also post it on her facebook page after the show Um, and she's shown uh, that how that projection indicates climate change into the immediate future and she's compared it to the uh, linear global warming prediction from the IPCC and it's radically different. Uh, so that slide will be there uh, on our Facebook page and I'll tweet it also. Um, the other really interesting thing about her work is that this discovery of the hemispheric dynamics, so different dynamics in the northern hemisphere and southern hemisphere of the sun, which themselves have surface level uh, cycles and deeper cycles, also has implications for our climate behaviour here on Earth. And we already know that if we look back at the last mini ice age, the the northern hemisphere was hit much harder than the southern hemisphere. Mm -hmm. So Europe in particular, uh, you know, had had a big freeze, the, the Thames River froze over for quite some time. And there's a lot of art uh, drawings and paintings uh, predict- yes. uh, showing that, showing that yeah, uh, skating right. on the river and those sorts of mm-hmm. things. Uh, and so um, when we're talking about the Earth's climate patterns, it doesn't make any sense to say that the whole Earth is going to be warm or cold at the same time. It's never been that way, and it's likely never to be that way. So even during that mini ice age, the morning minimum, uh, there were still places in in uh, the world that got warmer during that period, even though there was this massive freeze going on. Mm. So there are different dynamics in the Northern Hemisphere, the Southern Hemisphere. Another thing that we know from history is that after an ice age, which, and incidentally, these ice ages, the, the, the huge ice ages are often associated with uh, with mass extinctions yes. on the planet. Yes. And there's, there's a pattern that's been found in uh, some studies that suggests that life is regenerated out of the Southern Hemisphere, which would make sense if during a big cold that the Southern Hemisphere stays a little bit warmer. Uh, there's lots of recent studies that are finding an abundance of life in uh, the Antarctic. And yes. we spoke about one two weeks ago on That's the show. Right. Well, actually, the Antarctica apparently generates most new life, and this is actually a fairly yeah. new hypothesis yes. or theory yeah. uh, that um, that cold actually generates more life than heat. And the, the conventional wisdom, I think, is that sort of heat, warmer conditions actually generate life, but actually it comes new life, a new emergence comes actually from the colder temperatures. Yeah, there's there's more um, variation or uh, yeah. diversity of species in in the Antarctic than there is in the tropics. Interestingly, yeah. in terms of uh, underwater life, so we need to. Start thinking in more complex ways uh, more nuanced ways get away from this idea that it's going to be all cold or all cold even all over the planet it's it's really likely not to be like that uh, history shows that there are very complex dynamics at play and uh, the the temperature can vary in different ways in different places on the planet yeah very good well, that's about it for the show. Um, we were going to talk about, and I did post it, I think, on Facebook, about a very interesting piece that uh, Steve found that we've been looking at. We'll probably get to it next week. It was only been published a couple of days ago, in fact, yesterday. Uh, it's called um, uh, it's a, an analysis of Shoshana Zuboff's book on the age of 
surveillance capitalism, talking about such things. I love this phrase, gothic, algorithmic demons. Uh, and this book, The Age of Surveillance Capitalism, is already drawing comparisons to seminal socio-economic investigations like Rachel Carson's Silent Spring and Karl Marx's Capital. Zuboff's book deserves these cons- comparisons and more so says the writer Sam Biddle. We'll have a look at this next week and it's basically about uh, social media essentially and the, uh, the, the um, how would you put it? The, uh, well, it's very much tied into what we've been talking about it is, today, these hidden agendas, the hidden uh, agendas, particularly driven by the Layer 5 modern scientific industrial outlet, you know, which, outlook rather, which uh, is also the corporate perspective yeah. right um, what she says here is uh, you're not technically the product because people say with you uh, with facebook and other social media you're the product but what she says is because you're something even more degrading than a product you are an input for the real product which is predictions about your future sold to the highest bidder so that this future can be altered and that's just one of the very deep sort of ideas yeah, it, here. it's a really interesting insight and it's a development on this idea that you are the product which i first came uh, across about two years ago talking to um, a friend of mine Guy Garcia in the US who works in the marketing world um, the idea that you are now the product you know having you present on a network or something is 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 really providing something that is uh, of value and, and for sale on yeah. a lot of different uh, platforms and so a more complex uh, nuanced investigation there is showing that what the the end users you know the people that are that are buying this data about you are really interested in is what you're going to do next so they want to know that okay nick jeans has been looking at this and this and this on the internet here's some photos and uh he's really likely to go and buy a pair of shoes soon right they got they got me wrong there i'm not a big fan of shoes he hasn't been wearing shoes for years but this is a revelation it's a trend it's a trend and we're gonna we're gonna sort of manufacture his consent to, to quote uh, the famous, exactly uh, uh, towards uh, this this outcome. And so what what they want to do is they want to be able to trigger that desire in you to create the behaviour and make you go buy a new pair of shoes. And exactly these pair of shoes that we're showing you in your feed right now, because they look so nice, are exactly what you've been looking for, and you really want them. I'm convinced, clearly. So there you go. That's about it. I, I did want to also mention, you may have seen folks on the ABC uh, a, a piece called The Changing Sound of the Hottest 100. This refers to Triple J's Hottest 100. I thought it was rather interesting, and you might have a, have a look at The Changing Sound of the Hottest 100, because what it's saying here is uh, since 1993, when uh, the weekend countdown began, uh, nowadays the music is uh, much slower in terms of BPM, beats per minute, and much sadder. So uh, I think this is rather interesting in terms of uh, some changes in Australian popular culture and how we're responding to life through our creativity, in fact, and to the challenges that we've been talking about, in fact. That's right, and I'd suggest it's part of this regressive search that's going on in this values transition that's playing out globally and mm. here in Australia, whereby we're, we're realising that the way we've been living in the scientific industrial era no longer works. And we, we are in progress shifting to something new. And as part of that shift to something new, we make a regressive search. We go backwards. We look for old things, um, go back to old ways just to see if they'll work any better. And in the process, you know, it, it plays on our emotions, of course. Yeah. That's it for the show. Thanks for joining us. We'll be back next Monday. It's been wonderful. 9 a.m. Future Sense. And as we said earlier, we have a website. It's... Uh, just sort of points you to our, uh, our podcast essentially at this point but you can listen to future sense wherever you get your podcasts as i said earlier including apple Podcasts, spotify stitcher and overcast and other places too and you can tweet us at future sense show future future sense show. i'm having trouble saying that word today uh thanks steve thank you next week
You've been listening to Future Sense, a podcast edited from the radio show of the same name broadcast on BayFM in Byron Bay, Australia at bayfm.org. Future Sense is available on iTunes and SoundCloud. The future is here now. It's just not evenly distributed.